Hello, Formula One fans, and welcome to the Starting Grid Podcast. I'm your co-host, as always, Shane Holcomb, alongside Rome Katie and Shathan Winter today. We're here to discuss the Mexico City Grand Prix. Max Verstappen wins his 14th race of the season, 34th overall in his career, crosses the checkered line, and tastes victory once more this season as Red Bull continue to pull away in that constructor stand-ins already have clinched in their first title in seven years. Checo Perez finishes on the podium in his home Grand Prix alongside the Englishman Lewis Hamilton, who comes home in second place. Rome, I'll start with you. General thoughts, first thoughts on the race. And it was it was a bit of a it was a bit of a dud, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I would totally agree. It was an absolute dud. I was just telling these guys off the off the recording, like that race actually put me to sleep. And I thought it was gonna be at least a little bit exciting not like coda exciting but it was at least going to be like you know an exciting race that we were all just going to enjoy and be entertained by but it, it was just Verstappen just had that car so dominant from the jump it, it, it honestly looked like spa but he was just staying at first place the entire time besides maybe going into the pits once or twice and being knocked down a couple places we all know how we know how we all know how good that car is and we all know how dominant he's been this is his 14th win of this regular season the most ever in a single season by any formula one driver in history so i know shane you're probably going to ask this later but i just want to open this up to you guys like do you think this is probably the most dominant season in Formula One history, not just for Verstappen, but in everyone drivers? And you could look at Michael Schumacher's 04 season where he had 13 wins, Sebastian Vettel's 2013 season where he had 13 wins, and you can count out those as well. But I don't know if we've ever seen a car. I don't know if we've ever seen a team. I don't know if we've ever seen a driver look as dominant as Verstappen, Red Bull, and everyone else has looked. Nathan, I'll hand this one over to you. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the tires just never died out for Red Bull. kind of saved them. And I wouldn't go as far as saying this is the most dominant ever because 2013 Seb was absolutely different beast. He won 13 out of 17. Even though he's won 14 or whatever it is, he's also going to have more races. And so true. I think looking at a percentage is more of a telltale sign. Right. And I think if the 2020 season wasn't shortened that mercedes car would have been easily the best car we've ever seen mm. um the w11 was i mean that's arguably one of the greatest if not one of well one of the greatest if not the greatest invention of all time the dash system that's up there with double diffuser and all that but i wouldn't go as far as that but yeah it's one of the more dominant seasons we'll probably ever see um because it's a max verstappen and uh, yeah, I mean, he's probably not gonna—he's probably gonna win the rest of the races, from what it looks like. So that's all I gotta say, really. A boring race, sadly, but DRS is too powerful, in my opinion, uh, especially on these these model of car. Um, yeah, too many trains and not enough DNFs. So yeah. Mm. Well, let's talk about those DNFs, guys, first before we get into the actual race. Those DNFs included the likes of Yuki Tsunoda, my guy Fernando Alonso, uh, having an engine failure at the end. But let's talk about 
Sonoda and Ricardo's collision first, guys, because here's a guy in Daniel Ricardo, that one driver of the day, even after that 10-second penalty um, with Yuki Sonoda, the collision he made with Yuki Sonoda, finishing in P7. Yuki, he said that he didn't give him enough room. Rome, what are your thoughts on the collision between Sonoda and Ricardo? I mean, we all know about my agenda about Sonoda, but we're going to get to that in a second. Let's just talk about this crash as a whole, because, I mean, if you're saying that Ricardo gets a 10-second penalty on that, I think I think it's really pushing it if you're the FIA. I, I really don't think that deserves a 10-second penalty at most, maybe a five-second penalty, because if you look at, for example, last week at Coda, that Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll collision, if I if I'm not mistaken, that was a five-second time penalty, and everything just pretty much exploded. The debris was everywhere, and they barely they barely even touched, but they were going so fast when they touched, everything just went everywhere. And to me, like. Yeah, I get it. Sonoda was like kind of up and then like he kind of rode that area and was like going, I was like levitating almost. But I really feel like the FAA was being really soft with that 10 second penalty, because if that if that was really the case, then that really should not have happened at all. I feel like it was just one of those regular crashes that, yeah, you could look at it as a noted from the FIA or maybe at most a five second penalty. But to get a 10-second penalty on that is crazy to me. And then also, yeah, Sonoda's been fighting towards that back back marker of the points, but I think it's also him just being a little bit too aggressive at the wrong time, and it just absolutely like messing up his race to the point where he can't even finish the race. And to me, that's one of the many gripes I have with Sonoda is because, yeah, you could see him fight, but like, will you see him fight to the point where he can actually finish the race and not be too aggressive and not be too like over the top in his reactions? Because on the radio, he was like rightfully like mad about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. But it's just, again, I don't think that deserved a 10 second penalty. And Sonoda was just being a little bit too aggressive, in my opinion. I would disagree. I mean, so, I mean, that is completely Daniel's fault. Uh, it's a hundred percent. He was going up to the inside and he caught him off, caught him in the side pod and his race. So I think a 10 second penalty is completely should have been 10 second stop go penalty because then you have to serve it. Uh, if you're ending somebody's race, you shouldn't just be able to get away with it because you're effectively crashing out your rival in, and he, at the end of the day, 10 second penalty didn't even matter because he was going to finish seventh anyways. So the 10 second penalty was pretty much a, I don't know, a slap on the wrist for what he did. It should have been a 10 second stop go. Um, Like for example, Silverstone last year, where we go back to the controversial crash between Hamilton and Verstappen, Hamilton, he ended Verstappen's race. It's a 10 second stop go penalty. That's what it should be every time. So if you're ending somebody's race, with an aggressive move, which crashes them out of race, you shouldn't be able to get away with it by serving it after the race and getting away from your rivals. You should, you should have to serve it during the race in the moment. And it, that's that's what will stop all these collisions from happening. So I disagree, but I mean, that's just my opinion. So. Yeah, but, yeah, but let me say this, though. Like, we go back to last week with Coda. 
on lap one, turn one, sign uh Russell yeah. goes into science, Russell gets a five second time penalty. Yeah. But does that's that, lap one. Does that does that deserve the same thing though? Like are we giving but, up but the same energy? That, that's lap one though, right? So you know they rule they look at lap one a lot differently than they do the whole right. other part of the race. And I mean lap one and restarts, obviously, but I mean, so I mean, if it doesn't happen on lap one and you're ending somebody's race from an overtake that's clearly a dive bomb down the inside and you've lost control of your car, it should be a heavy penalty. You should have to serve it during the race, which effectively ruins your race because a 10-second stop go is pretty heavy of a penalty. So because he, he's effectively crashed somebody out. They're fighting in the constructors. I know it's not close, but they're still fighting them. And he's gone and got the penalty and he stayed where he's finished so does it really make like that's not a penalty is it you're not penalizing him really yeah but it was yeah but russell got that five second time penalty though like we right. should but but, but he served it during this pit right right yeah so he he served it during the race but he they gave him a 10 second penalty he's taken it he finished seventh after the penalty he stays seventh so where's the penalty yeah, true. Yeah, like there, there, well, that's because Verstappen had all those like thirty second time differences between the grid that just ballooned. Right. I mean, credit to him for pulling away that far. But, right, I mean, right, right. But like, still, you have to penalize. It's not a penalty unless you're you're being nicked. I mean, maybe that goes into a grid penalty for the next race. Like that's what happened with Troll this week. I mean, something that actually penalizes a driver because yeah, if you're able to get away with it, everybody's gonna do it. Mm. Some different opinions on that one, but what you can debate on is the fact that Fernando Alonso's engine failed him during the middle of the race. Chathan, I'll start with you on this one. Here's a guy that was in P5 at one point and fighting for those podium places like I predicted him to do so. But his engine failed on him once again. He had to get out of the car. Your thoughts on Alpine's not-so-good day? Um. Yeah. I mean, unfortunate uh, is the word. I think he he showed pace at the beginning, and he was a great, 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 great show from him. And to be honest, I feel bad for him. I don't know if moving to Aston Martin though is the right move because him and Alpine, even though they have these engine problems, as Christian Horner said in the beginning of the season, I'd rather have a fast and unreliable car than a slow and reliable car because. It's very hard to fix a slow car. It's not as hard to fix an unreliable car. And Al- the Alpine looks pretty pacey at times, especially with Fernando driving that thing from the middle of the grid up to the top end of the grid. And he was going to be able to beat out both of the Ferraris, I think, today. And so, unfortunate for them and a great showing from Fernando. Yeah, I mean, a, a disappointing day for Fernando, a disappointing day for Alpine in general. But I feel like when you look at it, like a, 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 a honestly, honestly, a, mecha- a, a mechanical failure. Jeez, I can't speak to them. <laughs> a mechanical failure to me doesn't represent the fault of the driver necessarily. And of course, that's not what it is. Like if Fernando just kind of got a bad luck of the draw, which he's kind of gotten a lot, especially when you think of like Japan and Singapore, he's gotten a bunch of DNFs throughout throughout this year. And it's just kind of like a look at the draw type of thing in my eyes. And to me, when you're trying to fight in the midfield battle, which I thought was, I thought Alpine was going to have a great day today because they were in a way better position than McLaren was. 
And they even said themselves that they had the upper hand on McLaren, which, I mean, who wouldn't say that if you're like trying to fight with McLaren and trying to get ahead of the midfield battle in some way. But I at least thought Alfie was going to have a great day today, but it was the exact opposite and kind of the same thing that we've been seeing this entire second half from this team. And to me, the fact that Ricardo gets into P7 is big for McLaren, because if you look at that, then that shortens the gap like even closer. Oh, P6, P6. Thank you, Chase. Oh, no, P. Oh, my bad. No, he got P7, but there's seven points. Yeah, yeah, P7. So, yeah, Chase, yeah. So P7 and yeah, like I was saying, that shortens the gap like even shorter than it was originally supposed to be. So for Alpine, you're kind of like on the ropes a little bit. And with with these two races left and with the sprint race in Brazil, with the race in Brazil and the race in Abu Dhabi, you have to look at those opportunities and go, our guys have to get points in those races in order for us to go anywhere. Because like, yeah, Ricardo's been having an iffy year, but as we've as we've seen him, like these random races, he pops into the points for no particular reason at all, and he gets points from McLaren, and that's what's going to shorten the gap for them. So I th- I think if you're Ultar, the team principal for Alpine, you really need to look at that and go, okay, how can Ocon and Alonso try and stop Ricardo's form and exceed that form by maybe getting into a P5 or a P6 in the next three races if you count the sprint race as a race. No, for sure. And another battle that's heating up in the Constructors' Championship is Ferrari and Mercedes, guys. Let's get to the P2 finish for Sir Lewis Hamilton. He overtakes his teammate George Russell on the first lap during the first couple of corners. Rum, I'll go to you for this one. Your thoughts on, first of all, Hamilton and that battle with Russell in lap one, but also the fact that that gap between Ferrari and Mercedes is now just 40 points heading into, like you mentioned, there's a sprint race in Brazil, there's a regular race in Brazil, and you got Abby Dabby. A lot of points are up for grabs these next couple of weekends. Your thoughts on Mercedes closing that gap to Ferrari? Yeah, I I, well, I want to talk about that first lap first before we get into that uh, gap, because that first lap scared me. Because like, especially if you're a Mercedes fan, I know Chathan, Shane, Mia, everybody else out there that are Mercedes fans that I know, y'all got scared. I, I know y'all were at the edge of your seats going, there must be like a crash incoming because we've seen crashes on lap one before derail the whole race. Because like I said, with Russell and Science, that switched up the whole grid entirely last week. And so that could have been a catastrophe for Red Bull. So they, 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 they honestly got really lucky on that end and they were able to be okay. And Hamilton got P2 and disappointing day for Russell by losing two places and kind of staying at P4 the rest of the way. But if you look at that gap between Mercedes and Ferrari, like Mercedes is coming and they're coming fast. And like Jason, you said on our qualifying episode, like, and I said too, like Ferrari's not that great of a team this year. And they're like, I, I said this myself, they're not even trying anymore. They're just trying to preview for next season. And to me, if Mercedes can catch Ferrari napping a little bit and get ahead of them, that would be, that would be huge, not only for Mercedes, but it'll be a, yet another huge debacle for Ferrari as a year just got, again, luck of the draw, management team messing up, drivers being unlucky. It's just been a whole debacle for Ferrari. And if they somehow lose P2 in the constructors, it'll be an even worse look on their part. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The first lap was great. Uh, 
race and then it lulled like usual um for mexican race um anyways but that that gap is closing but i just think it i think it's sorry for the dog barking but i think it's too little too late uh 40 points i mean you you have to assume that um like mercedes they're gonna do everything they can i don't know if they can win a race if they can win a race that'd be essential for them to catch ferrari because 26 points or 25 points would uh would really help them but i I just don't see him winning over red bull and ferrari are obviously going to score points even on a bad day i mean it was a bad day today but i'm assuming brazil is going to be better than this and i mean even i think the worst they finished is fifth and sixth which even then isn't that bad i mean it's bad but it's not that bad and I think if they finish fifth and sixth and Mercedes finish second and third, I think they'd still win. So, I mean, it's going to be tough for Mercedes, but uh, to be honest, I think finishing third for Mercedes helps them this year. Um, They get more wind tunnel time and clearly they're going through developmental process for next season's car. They're going to, I think, try to challenge for the championship um, and take Ferrari's spot a second, but it's going to be a lot closer to Red Bull, I think, but I don't know. And with more wind tunnel time and they don't need money, neither of them do. They have plenty of money, so it's not a problem. So I think, to be honest, if I were Mercedes, I'd want to finish third because you get more advantage from finishing third than second. Interesting point you bring up, Jathan, about the whole wind tunnel thing. Let's move on to Checo Perez, who finishes on the podium in his home country's Grand Prix, passing George Russell, like you mentioned, Rome, on that first lap and kind of leaving him in the dust the rest of the way. Checo, you know, he was behind the pack of Hamilton and Verstappen most of most of this race, but he held his own. He held off Russell on those medium tires. People thought that they would wear off at some point. I think it was interesting the strategy that both teams, uh, Mercedes and Red Bull, took today. You know, Mercedes starting on the mediums and then exchanged into the hards at the end, and then the Red Bulls going on the softs to start and then exchanged the mediums to finish out the race. So. Some might say that Mercedes made the wrong strategy call today. I think George Russell gave his pit crew a little bit of criticism towards the back end of the race, asking for those soft tires a little bit quicker than he wanted to. I know he got at the fastest lap at the end of the race, but he could have probably caught it up to Sergio Perez if they would have made a little bit of a change sooner. So, Rome, I'll go to you first on this. Perez finished on the podium. He was your predicted winner, but... Still a good, um, it's still a good result for for Checo in his home country. The second straight year he's finished on the podium in Mexico City. But also the thought, your thoughts on the two teams' different approaches to their strategy today. Yeah, great drive from Sergio Perez. Honestly, like even even though I like Shakespeare this thing and brought up the brought up the height a little bit with the entertainment value for my picks for Perez being the winner. I mean, I'm honestly not mad at his drive today. Like, even though he didn't win, he still got it on the podium, which is big for him. And I feel like Mexicans in that in that area and around the world, or especially Sergio Perez fans in general, not just Mexicans, are very proud of him for the way he drove where he drove today and the way he represented that country. So all kudos goes to Paris for how he uh for how he for how he drove today. And then for the strategies, like, I agree with you, Shane. Mercedes dropped the ball on this heavily. And the fact that Red Bull used used softs, I think, they were used in qualifying because they had a few extra laps on them before the race started. So they they had used softs on them, like, before the race started. 
then they went into mediums, which obviously if you look at the end, end of the race result, that was the best strategy for them anyways. But I, I, I just automatically like, I feel like Mercedes going from medium to hard is kind of costing the race today. And I feel like maybe if they taken Red Bull's approach, going from soft to mediums, maybe they would have at least kind of bridged the gap a little bit. Maybe Russell overtakes Perez at some point. Maybe Hamilton pushes up to P1. We might never know that answer, really. But I feel like if they start taking notes from the teams that are above them, I mean, there's only one team that's above them right now is Red Bull. I and mean, then maybe Ferrari numerically, but let's just say this right now, Red Bull's a way better team than Ferrari right now. And I feel like if you start taking notes from Red Bull and how they start to handle things and put that into the Mercedes way of things, then Mercedes and Red Bull are like right back in the thick of things. And that competition is going back to 2021 with Hamilton and Verstappen going at it. And I I honestly like wasn't a, wasn't a totally great day for Mercedes. It was a good day, but it could have been a great day if they took the strategy of the Rebels, in my opinion. I agree. Um, I, the good, to be honest, the greatest thing about that Red Bull is that they're just able to put on any tire and make it work for like five plus laps than expected. And I mean, you look at the strategy, like possibilities that, Pirelli laid out the beginning of the race and it was soft. I think it was soft, medium, soft or something like that. And then medium hard and Red Bull were able to just go one stop the whole thing on the two fastest tires. And I mean, the minute you use the two fastest tires and the other team are using the second and the slowest tire, the second fastest and slowest tire, you're always going to win. Right. So, I mean, they just made it work with whatever they had. And that's, amazing to me because I thought lap 20 came around and Verstappen was still going strong still two seconds apart from Hamilton and I was like when is this guy gonna slow down and Hamilton's gonna start catching him and it just never happened and then they switched it over perfectly for Verstappen and that was it and that was the race pretty much and Verstappen was uncomfortable from then so that Red Bull looks durable in a sense it's a durable bull and so it never never loses its energy and it just keeps going. No, for sure. And what's now, guys, so let's transition into looking a little bit further down in the constructor stand-ins with two teams in Haas and Alphatari. Of course, disappointment for Alphatari with the Sonoda crash, Pierre Gass not having his best day, but both of the Haas's guys um, not finishing in the points once again. Mick Schumacher and Kevin Magnussen not having the best of seasons. Steiner will not be very happy. We've seen his vulgarity behind the scenes before on Drive to Survive, and I'm sure that this season's not going to be any different. So I'm really excited to see what kind of his reactions were to these uh, zero points, donut hole drives. But what's what's focusing on these two teams, Haas and Avatar, because they're fighting for that eighth spot i know it's not really a fight but you still want to finish above others for financial reasons um chaitan i'll start with you on this one your thoughts on haas and alfatari's disappointing seasons up to this point yeah so um it's kind of sad to be honest um like i think haas it had such pace at the beginning of the season and it's just gone nowhere. It's just gone down swiftly, like straight down south. And 
I mean, I like Mick and his story and his doing it for his dad and all that stuff. I think it's great, but I don't know how long this can last where he's just not producing. And I, I mean, I'd love to be an FX camera in Gunther Steiner's office right now after this race because, to be honest, days are time is ticking on when they're going to announce their partner to Kevin Magnuson. And so I don't know who it's going to be, but I don't think it's going to be Mick. And I think Mick might be out of a seat for next year with Danny Rick. And, you know, maybe he takes a year off like Albon and comes back a reinvented driver, maybe like reserving for Mercedes or something. But I, something has to click. I mean, obviously he's a good driver. He's one F2. Um, I mean, he he's he's a great driver. He's won before, so he I don't understand why he can't do it again. It's just about finding confidence like he did at the beginning of the season and executing it for AlphaTauri. Um having Gasly go, I think is gonna be bad. Like it's gonna be bad next year. I think they're gonna be battling with Williams for the last spot, ninth and tenth, because Gasly is out of with all Sonoda's shenanigans and crashing and this and that at least you have a consistent driver who you know is going to get at least some data for you to improve your car whereas once Gassi leaves I mean Debris seems like a great guy great driver I mean but you just never know right so he's a young guy so I mean they have a lot to figure out and uh, to be honest I think to be honest for Haas time for Gunther to maybe start looking elsewhere and because it's not working out clearly. I mean, and and now with Audi coming in and maybe Porsche, maybe they sell. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not working out. It's what they came in five years ago and it's not worked out. So yeah, maybe it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, Chathan, you bring up some great points. I'm I'm spot on with a lot of your points there. I mean, Hass just had a really bad day. Again, it's been the same consistency for them, not just this season, but for the entirety of this season, pretty much, except for maybe like maybe when maybe in Austria, when Mick got Mick got ahead of Verstappen at the last corner and got points like maybe that's the one highlight of the season for Haas, but it just hasn't been that great of a year for them and as for Mick being in the seat next year I don't think he's going to be in the seat next year either I mean yeah he's put together points but he hasn't been consistent and in order to be a a really good team or at least a somewhat good team you need a consistent driver like Gassi's been for AlphaTauri and Mick Mick just hasn't been consistent and I don't think he's been consistent in anybody's eyes and I, I mean, if they look towards Antonio Giovinazzi, I don't even think that's a good option either. Danny Rick might leave for the year, or maybe he'll come to Haas. I don't know about that either. There's just way too many questions surrounding this Haas team right now in terms of their driver lineup. And and then if you go to AlphaTauri, I mean, yeah, DeVries is going to be a good addition, but I've been saying that Sonoda shouldn't be an F1 driver. Like he he hasn't been putting together good results mm-hmm. throughout his career. He hasn't even been close to what we've we've probably been saying he should be. And maybe it's drive to survive, maybe brainwashing me into thinking he's just some bad guy, like not putting the work in and whatnot. But it's just I don't I don't see I don't see anything special from Sonoda. And then maybe maybe I mean maybe DeVries can bring some of that in there. 
But I I just I, I really don't know with Alvatari and Haas. I think it's just gonna be another abysmal rest of the year rest of the year for them and an abysmal twenty twenty three, wherever it goes. I have a question for you. You said you, you didn't see anything from DeVries or Sonoda. No, I, I didn't see anything from Sonoda. I don't, oh, I don't okay. like Sonoda at all. I, 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 I know. Think, believe me, I'm on the DeVries train, especially yeah. with Monzo. You were on here when we talked about yeah. it. Yeah. DeVries is him that in that crazy. car. He, he, I, I feel like if he puts together anything remotely close to what he did in that Williams and Monza, he's going to be a really good driver. And I feel like he's going to fill those shoes that Gasly held. But if he I agree. starts turning into Sonoda and starts crashing every race and not putting together the results, then Alpha Tires is going to be going nowhere. So I think it's just mm. going to be a matter of what, what it's going to be for DeVries next year. I have a prediction for Haas and who they might, you know, go after. I think that they possibly, I mean, maybe not for this next year, but for the year after, I think they might possibly go after uh, Joe Guan Yu. And then, no, 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 no. Joe, Joe already signed a contract with Alpha. Uh, yeah, but you never know. Look at Piastri. He signed a contract with Alpha Alpine and now he's at McLaren. No, but, but that was a different story. That was a different story. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's not. But there's buyouts and stuff, I'm sure. But it's possible because Alpha Romeo have a crazy pool of like youth talent. Like, um, for example, Teo Parcher, um, a bunch of bunch of guys who are racing in F2 and even F3. And, I mean, they all deserve a seat, really. Like, yeah, Teo Parcher is lighting it up. And, I mean, guys like Logan Sargent, you see coming through the ranks. So, I mean, I think we're in an age where we're in a transition period from, like, the old guys, like Danny Rick, Sergio Perez, even Dan, um, Valtteri Bottas. All these Fernandos obviously on his way out, and we're gonna see these rooks come in. And I mean, at one point, Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen are gonna be the oldest guys on the grid. So, I mean, it's scary to think about, but I mean, they might be the most experienced guys in a couple of years because I think we're seeing a transition from this this 2010 age of Formula One ending, and we're going into a new age. Yeah, let me, but Shane, before you go, like, let me, let me ask you guys this real quick. S- since we're talking about F2, there's a guy in an Aston Martin system right now in Felipe Drogovic who just won the F2 championship. Let me, let me ask you guys this. When do you think he's going to get a seat in F1? When, when Aston Martin don't become, um, when they, they, when they become Aston Martin and not Aston Troll. So. And then not a retirement home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, honestly, like I honestly, I think if Djokovic is gonna see like Stroll's got to get out of there, like Haas, mm. Haas, that's yeah. a shot. Yeah, Haas has a shot of getting Djokovic. That that that's that's what I was kind of implying out with that question. Yeah. Mm. Well, dare I say Yuki Sonoda, and I've been someone who has put a little bit of praise on him in the past, but dare I say Yuki Sonoda is turned into Nikita Maspin. No, 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 no. He doesn't have the same reputation, I don't think. He's for jumping on the bandwagon, brother. <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. No, but I think Yuki is actually fit into Haas perfectly because he has that mm. aggressive mindset. K Mag and Gunther are like that. And you know, it's 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 blinders straight down and go up the inside. So <laughs> why not? Maybe that works and then Alphatari bring in, I don't know, Liam Lawson. Definitely not mm. Yuri Vips, tell you that. Um, uh, um, that. But they always have a youngster. So, I mm. mean, Red Bull always have a youngster in the wings who is probably, yeah. I don't know, probably going to the same school as me right now and 
ready to race <laughs> an F1. So yeah, they they always got young guys somewhere. So no, for sure. But before we round up the podcast, guys, today I want to you guys to give me a headline going into these last two races of the season. With this last time out, I messed up and said Brazil, but now we're actually going to Brazil in two weeks. Um, <laughs> Chaitan's shaking his hands. He's really looking forward to giving the headline, I can tell. So, Chaitan, I'll start with you. Give me a headline for Brazil. What do you think is going to happen, my bro? No, no, no. Let Rome go first. I want to see Rome's. Oh, you want me to go first? Because my podium predictions, I was going to respond to you if you make something like that. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go out of limb and say this. Shane, you're going to be really happy when I say this. George Russell wins the sprint race, and he wins the actual race in Brazil. Wow. Chathan, your response? Wow. Well, uh, similar. Uh, I can only say this every week, but I mean, I'm never going to get tired of saying it. Um, I think, ooh, I'm going to go with the bender right here. I'm going to go Fernando Alonso wins the sprint race. And then, and then Lewis Hamilton and Fernando are battling out rain and shine in Brazil. Oh, and wow. Hamilton takes it. Wow, that's bold. That's even better than mine. That's way better than mine. Write the headline. Hamilton takes final battle against Alonzo. Bang. There you go. Exactly. That's, that's a banger headline. That was way better than mine. You got it going. <laughs> no, I like I like what you're I like what you're thinking too, Rome. Uh let me let me think about mine for a second. Wow, there's a lot of things like there's a lot of places I can go with this. Sprint race, points up for grabs. Mercedes, this might be not the best prediction, but over the next two weeks, I'm going to kind of say this is going to happen. Ferrari finishes outside of the points, one of these two races, one of their drivers. Mm, whoa! That, yo, only one up, only up, one up, driver? Up, 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 one of the drivers. One of the drivers okay, finishes okay. out of the points, okay. and Mercedes catches up to Ferrari and finishes second in the Constructors' Championship. That's okay, wait, wait, wait. Let, let, let's just talk about this for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah go three ahead. minutes we have. Yep. Because, yeah, yeah, Mercedes is going to catch up to Ferrari, but we're not going to go that far and say Ferrari is going to be out of the points. Are you oh, I am. You I think driver. Yeah, driver. that could be a one DNF, uh, yeah, engine failure. Yeah. yeah, true, 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 true. But, like, I thought you meant, like, out of the points and finishing the race. Like, I think it could happen. I think. I think if one of them crashes first lap or something, and then mm. I mean, yeah, because we've strat- seen that with science before. You know, you know we could have like a back, you could so have them sit in the pit stop for about thirty seconds. You know, yeah. something like that, or but, just screw up the strategy again because they're strategic frauds. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I I could see that happening. Matteo Benotto needs to fire his whole squad and then including himself. That's what I said at the he beginning of this whole he thing. He needs to be fired. He needs to leave. He needs, needs to, to leave. leave. Yeah. And Charles Leclerc needs to leave too. Yo, <laughs> what? No, trust. If he wants to win a world championship, yep. needs... <laughs> I see. There's I no agree. For him right now, you think he's going to Red Bull? No, but no, no. His time will come. Trust. It's going to come when <laughs> he Lewis goes Hamilton... to Haas and wins the world championship. <laughs> <laughs> when Lewis Hamilton, when Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez leave, Lando Norris and Leclerc are going to become world championship contenders. Trust mm. me. Trust me. Lando with the Merc and you're just Leclerc with the Red Bull. Tanks, bro. I love it. <laughs> I think I think Norris will go 
to Mercedes and Leclerc will go to Red Bull because wow. Mercedes, two Brits, just like they have now, it yeah. works out. So it makes them sign should go back to McLaren if we're being real. Because for, for real, for real, <laughs> that move right. might have messed up his career. But yeah, we have less than a minute left in this meeting. Um, because I'm poor and I'm broke, so we only get 40 minutes in the Zoom. Um, but for everyone, Rome, Chathan, thank you for joining me. This was thank a blast. You. Until next time, Formula One fans, we will see you guys in Brazil.